Welcome to the WebMD Health Discovered Podcast. I'm Dr. Neha Bartuk, WebMD's Chief Physician Editor for Health and Lifestyle Medicine. Heart disease is one of the leading causes of death for men and women, regardless of race or ethnic group in the United States. In fact, in the U.S., one person dies from heart disease every 33 seconds. While heart disease is among the leading causes of death, Black Americans are disproportionately affected. In 2019, Black Americans were 30% more likely to die from heart disease than non-Hispanic whites. And although Black American adults are 30% more likely to have high blood pressure, they're less likely than their racial counterparts to have their blood pressure under control, which is a major risk factor for heart disease. February, in addition to being Black History Month, is also American Heart Health Month. So today, we'll be delving into a step-by-step approach to cardiovascular health, specifically focusing on the disparities faced by Black Americans. Some questions we'd like to answer are, what factors contribute to heart disease? And why do they disproportionately affect Black Americans? And what barriers to healthcare exacerbate these issues? Here to walk us through this important topic is Dr. Anekwe Onwanye. Dr. Onwanye is professor of medicine and serves as chief of cardiology at Morehouse School of Medicine and is medical director of the Heart Failure Program at Grady Memorial Hospital. He's board certified in cardiovascular diseases and advanced heart failure and transplant cardiology. He's a consultant cardiologist at Grady Memorial Hospital, Wellstar Atlanta Medical Center, and Emory University Midtown Hospital in Atlanta, Georgia. He currently serves as the president of the Association of Black Cardiologists. Welcome to the WebMD Health Discovered podcast, Dr. Onwanye. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I have a lot of questions to dig into around this very important topic. But before we do, I'd love to ask you about your health discovery. What was your aha moment around managing cardiovascular disease, particularly when it comes to health disparities? Into the beginning of my career, I realized that it was important that we consider the totality of the patient's environment and what they are being treated for. Because it dawned on me that many of the patients that I had at the beginning of my career, that just focusing on the disease process itself was insufficient to provide them the care that they needed, that it was important that one considers the totality of the patient. For example, it was important that just prescribing medications for patients that they cannot afford does not really do anything to really getting the patient to where they need to be in terms of their condition. And that was an earlier realization for me that I needed to consider the patient's circumstances, where they live, what they can afford in really tailoring their treatment individually to what the patient is able to afford. So that was the important turning point in my approach to how I treated patients throughout the rest of my career. As a primary care doctor, that really resonates with me because you really have to meet your patients where they are. And that's not just where they are in terms of their plans for behavior change or taking your medicines, but where are they in their ability to follow through in the recommendations and the counseling that you're providing. So thank you so much for sharing that. 
So to dig into my question, so we know that heart disease is a leading cause of death among Americans, regardless of gender, racial group, ethnic group. But I'd like to break that down a little bit. So what are some of the major differences in the prevalence of heart disease and its risk factors? So high blood pressure, et cetera, in the black community versus the white community? In the black community, there is a high prevalence of cardiovascular risk factors in general, but notably amongst the risk factors is hypertension. Hypertension is a major contributor to cardiovascular disease, to heart attacks, to heart failure and stroke, and prevalence in the African-American community is really significant, greater than in any other groups in the country. Similarly, other risk factors that are very prevalent, but the disparity in terms of the black and white comparison is not as great as in the hypertension category. So one of the biggest things that we think can help in mitigating the adverse outcomes in terms of cardiovascular disease is efficient control of hypertension. And, and that has been a challenge across all groups, but particularly in the African-American community. Yeah, I think you make some important points that we really need to break down, too, is that when we think about heart disease, oftentimes, particularly in our patients, we're just thinking about the heart. But there are so many interconnected pieces. So that's why we really talk about cardiovascular disease. So it's your heart. It's the blood vessels. Hypertension, which is high blood pressure, is essentially when you have an effect that's essentially affecting the blood vessels. And that also can put a strain on your heart. And then you mentioned stroke. People don't necessarily recognize that that's also part and parcel with cardiovascular disease because you have this blood vasculature that's not only throughout your body, but it's also the vasculature that connects to your brain. Right. We actually feel that the cardiovascular system, the heart is connected to anywhere that the blood vessel leads to, really. So any of that territory can affect the way the heart functions. So you have the pump and the pipes, you know, wherever the pipes lead to, which are the blood vessels, potentially can affect the heart. So I'd like to go back then to another point you made, which is that there are certainly some disparities in the prevalence of heart disease, but particularly as it relates to high blood pressure and the control of high blood pressure when we're thinking about the African-American community. So can you talk us through some of the reasons behind this disparity? What are some of the reasons that you're seeing beyond socioeconomic status? So high blood pressure is kind of a unique situation in the sense that, you know, sometimes we believe that it can be primary. That is when we don't find any particular explanation for why the blood pressure is high. Or it could be due to some other condition causing the high blood pressure to be elevated. The majority of high blood pressure is when in that category of primary. And the issue then is why do African-Americans or blacks tend to have this disproportional rate of high blood pressure? And it is often difficult to discern sometimes about what people feel is that oh, it runs in the family. You know, they say it's hereditary. But... I think that when you look at it in, in critically, and there are studies now that have shown that there is a brain pathway to the heart that is uh, created as a result of stress, and that pathway is part of what can create 
the environment by distorting the function of the blood vessels that could eventually lead to high blood pressure. And in considering that, it is important to understand that chronic stress, and particularly in the African-American population, where you compound the economic and the environmental stress that uh, predates generations, and you can then imagine now you can have that perpetuated over time. And this may well explain some of this disproportionate prevalence that we see in hypertension in different communities, particularly the higher rates in African-America. Certainly that's one factor. And then at the same time, concurrently with the current living environments and the other risk factors that come to play, all of this can contribute to the prevalence of hypertension or high blood pressure in the African-American community or, or groups in a disproportionate way compared to other groups. And I'd love to dig in a little bit there as well, because no community is a monolith. When we're thinking about the Black community or the African-American community, it would be really instructive if you can help us sort of think through what we mean by that. So there's folks that have lived here for generations. Are we seeing a disproportionate risk in that group versus potentially immigrants that are coming more recently from the African continent? Is there a difference? Is there a difference in risk and prevalence? That's a, an excellent question. And I think the presence of disease is an interplay of genetics and environment. There is a genetic predisposition in context with the environmental factors, then eventually leads to disease. It could also be a spectrum. So what you eat is also important. So culture or environmental issues of a population interplays with the genetic predisposition to result in hypertension. So for the different groups, studies have been done to look at blood pressure, for example, in countries in Africa, in rural and urban centers in Africa, there's a different prevalence. And when studies have also been done to look at immigrants who were not hypertensive when they were in Africa, but when they moved over to the Western world with the environmental issues, the diet, and so forth, end up developing hypertension. So the environment is a big fact, but the genetic predisposition is also part of the equation. So what should people be thinking about with regards to signs and symptoms so that they can recognize that there is a potential problem that may be something that they need to be concerned about more imminently? The symptoms of heart disease or cardiovascular disease, a big umbrella, can vary depending on populations across sex, men and women. Sometimes can have some differences in the way they manifest heart problems. We like to take those into consideration. But if I step back uh, and just say that the symptoms do not start immediately, there is a problem. The symptoms actually develop over time as the heart attempts to overcome the problems, right? It is when the heart is unable to really keep working under the circumstances of increased pressure and increased obstacles that the symptoms manifest. So the symptoms manifest as a result of the inability of the heart to continue to work against resistance or, or against several uh, unfavorable conditions. And they manifest in that manner in terms of, for example, chest pain. If the heart is unable to continue to perform with adequate oxygen needs that it needs because of a blockage of a blood vessel, chest pain will result. 
But that chest pain, that whole process did not start that day. It has been building up over time. So there could have been opportunities, right? To really identify these risk factors and this problem earlier on. So that is why it is important for people to have checkups or check-ins with their provider and to be attuned to things that are different from their usual terms of condition. If you have never had a chest pain and you suddenly start having that pain with exertion, for example, check it out. Don't say it's okay. It's due to indigestion or something of that nature because it's different. Shortness of breath, for example, is one of the other symptoms, but as you can imagine, shortness of breath is a common symptom. It can occur in a variety of conditions and it takes some discernment to figure out that the shortness of breath is related to heart uh, not working well, not performing well. And many times that requires someone who is trained to be able to tease that out. So you should go to your provider when you start developing symptoms so that they can help you discern what exactly is going on. So checkups are important. Talking about the symptoms are important. And I think the biggest factor that you know I want the listeners to take away is that early identification is important. If you're detecting early, then you have an opportunity to fix them uh, before they get out of France. And that is why it is important for us to you know, be aware of uh, symptoms chest pain, shortness of breath, or getting easily tired, unusually. That could also be a non-specific pain, but it's abnormal. Uh, why are you so short of breath? Or why are you easily fatigued? Swelling sometimes, especially of the extremities, is one of the manifestations of heart disease or heart condition. Again, making sure we are paying attention to our bodies and symptoms. It's important for that early diagnosis of heart progress. And then sometimes the irregular rhythm of the heart. The heart is supposed to have a regular cadence, a regular rhythm. And when the heart beats irregularly, and then we feel it, uh, we're conscious of the heartbeat, it is something to, that is not usual. So don't just ignore it. The take-home point is pay attention and have things checked out. And don't assume it's not something to be concerned about. I really love your framing of considering the opportunities for intervention. So when are those opportunities? So certainly you've talked in really great detail about signs, symptoms that should be a red flag to be an opportunity to intervene. So bring that to the attention of a healthcare professional so that this can be evaluated to rule out the heart-related or really potentially dangerous causes of these symptoms. What should we recommend people do with regards to how often they should get their blood pressure checked? How often they should have blood tests checked to see whether or not they have diabetes or their sort of their sugars are creeping up? Can you give us a little bit of a step-by-step approach to that piece? So for someone who does not have any medical problems or, or medical conditions that they're under observation for, I think having the annual physical exam with the provider, I think is sufficient to really have a baseline check on blood pressure, blood sugar level, cholesterol level, and also having an electrocardiogram. So that annual checkup, I think will suffice in terms of the monitoring. So in between those checkups, should someone develop new symptoms or that are unusual, 
they should also have the opportunity to reach out to their provider to have things checked out rather than waiting for the next annual fiscal checkup. So I think that frequency will suffice. However, for individuals who have a condition already, for example, already have hypertension, I think it is important that they do their blood pressure check at least once a day to really get a sense of where they stand in terms of their blood pressure trend. After individuals have gotten on therapy and they're stabilized, you may not routinely do it once a day, but at least it should be checked multiple times in the course of a week. We often advise patients that, especially when there is a change in the dosage of medications, they should always make sure they check their blood pressure before they take the medication. So should there be a, a decrease in the blood pressure, they should not take the medication. Otherwise, it will create an unsafe situation for them. So I, I think that frequency will suffice uh, for individuals who have diabetes. Of course, there is a much more intense monitoring of their blood sugar on a daily basis, actually several times a day. The other thing that we tend to recommend is exercise. As long as it's safe to exercise in consultation with your provider based on the conditions that the patient is under monitoring. You know, generally we recommend about 150 minutes per week of exercise. About 50% of that should be aerobic, uh, where you can really get your heart rate up. And then the rest of uh, the time, you know, the other 50% can be a mixture of uh, resistance training, so weights, also um, some other aerobic form of exercise. Exercise is not always for losing weight, but it's to maintain that cardiovascular system in top shape as much as possible. I often tell folks that you're taking your car for the checkups. It's the same thing with your health. You should have the checkup for your health. But when you see the red light that says uh, you need to go for checkup, it's the same kind of stuff. When you have the symptoms, you need to take a break and go for that checkup. All of these preventive measures and early detection are the things that need to be in place for us to really have a good outcome for all segments of our society in terms of cardiovascular disease outcomes. When you have a disparity in access to these building blocks of health, then you have disparities in outcomes. I have a question about something a lot more patients are asking me about these days is how the calcium score fits in with your risk assessment. Can you talk a little bit about that piece? Yes, we utilize a imaging device called the CT scan to really scan the arteries, the blood supply of the heart. And what this scanning does is that it detects calcium in the walls of the heart or in the walls of the blood vessels that supply the heart with blood. That calcium is there because it's a marker of a problem in the vessel wall that there is a lot of plaque, what we call cholesterol plaque, and the calcium is a marker on the vessel wall. So the ability to detect that information is what we utilize in terms of how we risk stratify patients. What has been shown is that this is a much more robust way of assessing risks than just looking at the blood cholesterol level. And there is a way we can categorize the severity or the amount of calcium, and that tells us who should we be starting or having a deeper conversation with in terms of you need to change your lifestyle, we need to check on other risk factors to see if there's additional things we need to do. And there are others which we may even decide to initiate treatment right away 
based on the level of the calcium score. And so it's a kind of a risk predictive uh, model of utilizing that score to be able to say, where does the patient fall in terms of the cardiovascular risk? The other thing that is important to know is that this tool is used in patients who we do not have a clarity as to where they really lie in terms of the risk profile. When we know definitely that somebody has high risk, they've had disease before, they've had stents, uh, we don't do calcium score because it's of no use in that group. We already know they have the condition. And when we look at also to the other extremes of people who we know do not have any risk factors, they are good health, we don't do calcium score. We know they are low risk. It's that in-between group. And also it's for people within a certain age group that it actually works effectively in people between the age of 40 to 70 about. So we don't want to use calcium score in someone who is 20 years old. We want to use it in someone who is 80 years old or 90 years old. I would love to hear from you what you think we can do to address some of these disparities with regards to finding our way to the healthcare system even if it's difficult to access, what can people do to minimize their risks? And any final thoughts that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I, I think on an individual basis, people can um, work to use their risks by paying attention to some basic approach. We need to be able to move more, exercise more. When I mean exercise, people don't have to go pay to be gym members, just walking rather than driving to the grocery store. If it's close by, reasonable close by, it's an important thing to do. Smoking cessation, uh, that's something that people have to address and, and try to get control of. I think that we also want to just figure out how we can eat better. Portion control is one simple thing we can do sometimes. And also making sure that we have our fruits and our, our vegetables. And I say all of these things with fully realizing that there are several areas of our community, particularly where I work, where there are food deserts. In my institution, we have a food is medicine program because we know there are people who have challenges and it's easy for me to say these things, but, and that's why I talk about treating the patient and meeting the patients where they are and not making prescriptions of ideal things that people can afford. So it's important that we are pragmatic, we are culturally sensitive, and we think outside the box in helping our patients reach the healthcare that they deserve. We want to be able to be flexible to tailor a prescription to that particular patient in order to enable them to achieve the best health that they can. I, I think also um, one of the things uh, we advocate for is the public policy to be an advocate for the patients, for the things that we know can assist patients in achieving the best healthcare. Because in the final analysis, they cost more to the system if they're not able to achieve their uh, healthcare. So policy advocacy for access to healthcare resources, medications, and things of that nature are really important. And as providers, we should be doing all of those. Thank you so much for being with us today. We've talked with Dr. Onekwe Onwanye about things that we can do on an individual level to recognize our risk for heart disease and to take action. We've also talked about how access to healthcare and other factors can lead to disproportionate risks 
in the African-American community. And if you're a health professional, we've also learned about ways we can advocate to close the prevalence gap when it comes to heart disease. To find out more information about Dr. Onwanye, visit abcardio.org. Thank you so much for listening. Please take a moment to follow, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform. If you'd like to send me an email about topics you're interested in or questions for future guests, please send me a note at webmdpodcast at webmd.net. This is Dr. Neha Bartok for the WebMD Health Discovered Podcast.